Hey guys, my guest tonight, Pat O'Connell, is going to be talking about UAPs and high strangeness in Texas. Be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I think you all said well. Everybody's off work by now, I think. Let me uh, push my other button here. Let me, uh, so I don't do weird things. Like last night, we don't end up like last night by me, by, by, by me banning the guests by accident. That really sucked. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California which means you could be anywhere and we could help you. The problem is it might take us a couple days. California is a huge state. People don't realize that. We've got it all here. We've got oceans. We've got mountains. We've got high desert, low deserts. You know, we've got uh, swamp lands. <laughs> well, not swamp, but, but, you know, muddy lands by the rivers and all that. I want to welcome everybody. Um, for everybody that's watching from Facebook, if you haven't done so already and you like what you hear tonight, please be sure to hit that follow button. We're always looking for followers. And if you happen to be over on YouTube, same thing. If you haven't subscribed yet, we're trying to hit that 1,000 mark on YouTube by Christmas. And uh, we're about 240 away. So if you can find it in your heart to follow, if you like what you see here tonight, that would be great. Also, for those two networks and for, for Twitch, because we're over on Twitch tonight, be sure to hit the, the, the thumbs up button and the hearts and the happy faces. Because by doing that and engaging in our chat room, it uh, makes the computers at Facebook and, and Twitch and, and YouTube take a closer look at us, and they'll move us out to more people so more people get to see us. And along that line, too, if you have a couple, you know, people in your home or wherever you're at and uh, you feel like you like the show tonight, why don't you share us? Share us. Pass us around. Pass us around if you don't like us. I just want to get the word out about the show, okay? That's all, that's all I care. I want to get the word out about the show. I, like as I said, you can find us on Facebook under California Haunts Radio, California Haunts. And Sacramento Sears, S-E-E-R-S. You can find us on Twitter under California Haunts or Cal Haunts. You can find us at TikTok under California Haunts. You can find us on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. And it's Cal Haunts over at Twitch. All right. So there's all kinds of ways to find us. Tonight's show, I'm really excited. I am a buff about UAPs and UFOs and things like that and strange stories. And we, I, my guest tonight has a very interesting story to tell. And I'll let her go into details about it. It's, she's the guest, right? Her name is Pat O'Connor. O'Connell. I'm sorry, Pat O'Connell. Ah, I thought about my neighbor down the street, Ro O'Connors. Just hit me. But uh, she's got an interesting story to tell about UAPs and some high strangeness in Texas. So let me bring her in and let's get this show on the road. Hello, how are you doing? Can you hear me? 
I can hear oh, you, Charlotte. Took me a minute. Nice to see you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Last night, what happened when it was comical is Nancy Mass was on the show. And when she came on, her mic wasn't working. So I went to, to, to kick her out of the studio last night so she could reset. I banned her by accident. <laughs> that was a nightmare to try to get her back on. That's why when you didn't say anything at first, I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> Never ban your guests. <laughs> Anyway, welcome. Well, thanks, thanks for inviting me and and for not banning me. That's it. That's it. Tell, yeah. tell, tell. <laughs> As they say, it's, if I'm good, you won't. That's it. Me. As they say, s happens, right? And it's just, <laughs> it was just crazy last night. Then, then, then I stopped the show and restarted it. It, it was does just, indeed. Yeah, it was just crazy. So tell me about you. Uh, well, I'm the least interesting part of all this. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a writer. I've been uh, in the corporate world for uh, decades doing uh, marketing and technical writing and, uh, you know, things like that training for high-tech industries. You know, I did stuff for, uh, you know, NASA and nuclear power and things like that. So, um, you know, and now I've kind of, I've, I've quote unquote retired. I, am now doing work that's not painful. I want to do work that feels good. So I'm helping people write their own books. I'm doing investigations like this. I'm writing my own books. So uh, occasionally I'll do a client project if it if it's fun and if it's not, you know, full of drama and stuff like that. But um, I'm trying to enjoy my life now. Absolutely. I agree with that. I'm kind of like in that spot too. I took care of my mom and dad for 10 years, retired from being a working journalist and doing this show, you know, at least I'm able to do a little bit sure. of that plus cover, you know, different stories like this. So I'm kind of doing what you like, like painless work, right? Like, like, like you say, you have a unique story to tell. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, okay. I, I do. <laughs> We got a delay. It sounds so like gotta, we have a little bit of a, a delay, so I'll try. Yeah. I'll try to accommodate. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about the delay. So, uh, where do you want to start with this story? Because it's a fantastic story. Well, um, I can start with uh, you know how I got involved in it. Um, my brother Jim O'Connell was the one who actually started all this, and he was uh, he believed he was. Uh, an abductee and I couldn't prove that he wasn't. And, um, you know, I, I trusted him and I believed him and, uh, you know, it took him a while, took him several years to come to the realization that he wasn't just having really strange, vivid dreams. Uh, and once he got there, um, you know, it was a, 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 it was a revelation and it really changed his life. So, at the point I come into this story is he's been working this angle for years and years and uh, has talked to experiencers all over the world and uh -huh. was collecting their stories for the purpose of in uh, of interviewing them on this TV reality show that he wanted that he was developing and and he saw so many shows out there that were about <laughs> what he said about the vehicles and we don't care about the vehicles you know the UFOs he said uh -huh. this is about the experience this is about the human experience and whether it's a real phenomenon or a 
if they're really being abducted or it's just a psychological phenomenon, it was something that profoundly affected their lives. And he wanted to, to acknowledge that and respect what they were going through and tell their stories and help them feel more accepted. You know, that somebody, somebody hears you and, and believes that you believe what happened. And so this is where he, you know, he had been doing this for years, gathering these stories and developing, uh, uh, you know, uh, video film for, for the, uh, for the TV show, trying to get funding and all that. And um, so he called me one day and he said that he had a, a, an experiencer here in Texas, but he said the story that this guy had, the experiences that he had were like, beyond anything he had heard before. I mean, the closest uh, that it, he could come to it would be the stories about the original Skinwalker Ranch when it was just the rancher and his wife living there and they were seeing some strange things. It wasn't what we see on TV today. It was the up close and personal. You're seeing these blue lights flying through or uh, poltergeist kind of things or a portal and a UFO. Uh, I think they had a couple of sightings of UFOs out there. But he said, this guy is even beyond that. And so he said, I can't tell his story in a one hour episode of my show. Even if I did a like a three show arc, I oh. couldn't cover it all. So he said he wanted to know, since I'm here in Texas, my brother was in Connecticut. And he wanted to know, two things. Would I be interested in meeting with this guy and kind of vet him? You know, is he, is he a nutcase? And, you know, in, in which case Jimmy wouldn't need to come down here for that. Mm -hmm. And two, would I be interested in writing maybe a book um, or multiple books or a, uh, you know, maybe even a, a screenplay or maybe all of them to cover the breadth of this story. And I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. And, and then Jimmy said, and by the way, this guy says that he shot and buried an alien. And imagine, <laughs> if you will, somebody telling you this with complete sincerity. And I'm thinking, you know, on the one hand, that sounds completely crazy. But on the other hand, I'm thinking if this is true, this would be, this would change everything. This would be one of the wow. most uh, profound things to happen to humanity ever. So um, yeah, I said, absolutely, I'm in. So that's kind of how I got in into this story. Wow. And uh, after that became... You know, at that point, now I start interacting with Clay. Wow. Absolutely wow. And, I mean, there has to be a reason why he shot this alien. So what was the buildup to that? Well, that we'll get to that probably at the end of the hour because okay. you know, there's so much that happened that led to um, his... First of all, his fear of the aliens, um, and and then to the kind of this the knee jerk reaction that led to this shooting. So, um, but what he, what happened was first, you know, there were there were ships, there were sightings, um, 
And then he started playing with uh, lasers because he he had, I mean, okay, let me back up. Clay Wheeler <laughs> was a, uh, he was an aircraft repair guy. He had a sh his own shop at a little tiny, tiny airport in the middle of nowhere. And he had people working for him who they would, they would help repair these airplanes. And so um, they're in a situation where you don't really want to see UFOs or UAPs. Right. That's, right. I mean, these today it's a little more accepted as you know, but in those days, this was back in 2010 and, and it, all the, all the strangeness happened between 2010 and 2013. And he had been at this airport for many years before that nothing had happened. So I, you know, I don't know what, I still don't know what happened between 2009 and 2010 that caused all this to, to start up. But I have a team where we're still investigating. We're hoping to figure out is, you know, is, is there something out there that could have caused either hallucinations or these crazy real events? We don't know. So um, for him, it started when it started, it was seeing craft in the sky. And mm -hmm. at first it was a little dot in the sky. And he, but he would take a laser and um, he could point it at some of these lights would be behaving strangely um, in ways that he, he knew aircraft, you know, he knew all kinds of aircraft. He knew what planets were, uh, he knew what they things could do and what they couldn't do. So he's with the the laser, and this was before we were warned not to shine lasers in the sky because we could blind pilots. But um, you know, yeah. So he's out there playing laser tag with some of these lights, and he said they would they would dodge the laser light, and so he'd go after and and they would do these movements that a no, no plane can do a satellite can't do. He knew this. And so that's how it started. And then one night, I guess he pissed off one of these things and it came in and, um, and it hovered over the, over the runway. The first one was just this, what he called the soap bubble. It was just this luminous ball, but it was huge. And, um, and then he, you know, he watched it for a while and he didn't know what, what it was or what it was going to do to him or if it could do anything to him. And he said, he watched it for a while. And then suddenly it shot up into the sky, not too far. And then it dove into the ground and it disappeared. And he's thinking, you know, at first he expected a crash or a splat or something, um, and he, he started examining the, the tarmac of the runway, trying to figure out, you know, is there, you know, kind of testing it to see, did it, did it dissolve? Did it uh, crater? Is there some damage to it from this thing that dove into it? But there was no evidence at all that there was ever anything there. So hmm. that was kind of the beginning of his realization that, um, this was a different kind of reality happening. And so, you know, so there, there were other things, but part of this story is not 
UFOs. So, so there were Mexican hat UFOs. There was a, mm-hmm. a pork pie hat was the first image he got a picture. His first thing he got a picture of uh, in the sky, and um, and other types of craft that we'd be more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also the the uh, the effects of this place on people's personalities, on their behaviors. And over time, people started turning dark. They would, their, their moods would get dark. Their behavior would become erratic and very strange. And he found out over time that it wasn't just at his hangar, um, but it, it mostly affected his wife. And so she, the, the stuff that went on with him, with, with her, was that she turned from being kind of a prim and proper uh, wife and everything, you know, everything was normal. And then she moved into the airport. So, so he had this building that had a hangar on one end, an office in the middle, and then he built an apartment on the other end so that they could live in it while they were building a house. They had bought some land near the airport and they were going to build a house on this land. So they were living as, you know, it was just a small apartment on the other end of of the hangar building. Um, But when she moved in, suddenly her, her behavior started to, to change and she became more and more aggressive and angry. And, um, at one point, um, he, he, he took her out to dinner. He was trying, he was thinking, you know, she, she's stressed over work. She was working the night shift and, um, and he was wor- working a lot because he was trying to build up his business and he was hiring more people and he was trying to expand the business. So both of them were, you know, kind of disconnected. And, um, so, she, her behavior started getting weird. So he takes her out to dinner and they got into a fight at dinner and she storms out. Well, they both had their, their trucks out there because she was going to go to work and then he was going to go back to the airport. And so they're out in the parking lot and they're arguing. She slams her truck door. He's holding the truck door while he's talking to her. She's inside the truck and she slams the door on his hand and takes off with dragging him and she drags him like a mile and a half from her truck and then just opens the door and lets him go. I don't know if she realized suddenly that he was hanging off of her door or I would think she would know uh, or if she knew that and did it on purpose. I don't know. But um, when she finally opened the door and he he went flying and he, he said he ended up in the hospital. He had multiple broken ribs. He had, I think, I think he broke both arms and one leg. So he was a mess for a while. But he kept justifying. He kept saying that, you know, we're, she's very stressed. And he kept making excuses for her. And then one day, and this is as things, as things progressed, as time progressed at the airport, Um, he got sicker and sicker. Of course, he was more damaged too for things like that happening. But things got got stranger and stranger. There were poltergeist activity. There was 
demonic stuff and we can talk about that. Um, and so she got stranger and stranger. And one morning she woke up and she had her belly was swollen. Now she was, she was fit. She was in good shape, but she woke up one morning with this belly that he said, looked like she was eight months pregnant. And, you know, he's freaking out thinking what in the world, what kind of like, could she been bitten by a snake or, you know, venomous spider or what kind of thing can cause this? And he's like, we've got to get you to the doctor right away. And, and she, she didn't want to have anything to do with that. She got totally angry with him to the point where she was like, she, she wasn't going to let him uh, get her dressed even to go to the doctor. And finally she ended up, she was standing on, she jumped up on the couch. She was pacing on the couch like a mad woman. And he's trying to calm her down and saying, you know, we'll just, I'll, I'll just take you out for pancakes or, you know, whatever. And finally he gets, he tries to get close enough to her to grab her and she kicks him in the head. He falls over the, the, the coffee table ends up cracking his head on the tile floor and he's out. And then when he wakes up, she's gone. And so he's frantic trying to figure out where does she go? What happened to her? What is going to happen to her? Is this thing going to split up? And then some, you know, the alien creatures are going to come out like in the alien movie. Um, and, you know, he's, he, he calls everybody he can think of. And so, you know, he, he, does, he can't leave because he's afraid if he leaves, she'll come back and he wants to be there so he can take her to the hospital. Um, and so hours pass, he's frantic and she just wanders back in her t-shirt and panties that she was in from bedtime when she got up that morning and her belly was flat. It was the belly was gone and he had no idea what had happened. So then the third thing that happened with the wife, the third major thing was that um, he and his crew were working in the shop and repairing airplanes and doing what they do. And she drives up and she takes out uh, his, his 38, his snub nose 38. Uh, and he had a lot of guns. We're in Texas. People have guns here. Uh, and he happened to be a gun, a licensed gun manufacturer. So he could make like, he could repair guns. He could make replica antique guns and things like that and sell them at gun shows and things like that. So he had a lot of guns. Apparently she got a hold of his 38 and she walks into the shop and starts shooting at everybody. And luckily she either was a bad shot or she didn't really want to shoot anybody. He, he, he claimed that she didn't intend to hurt anybody, but you know, that was him again, making excuses for her and, mm -hmm trying to to justify what she did so it was after that incident that he had to finally divorce her but up to that point he was making excuses and trying to understand that you know she was being affected he thought she was possessed really so how fascinating and how did they figure that the aliens had caused this or, or, or did, or did, did they 
you know, with her to figure out if she'd been abducted or how did that work? Right. Well, I mean, he never did know, know what was affecting her. He felt like it was kind of a demonic possession. So right, okay. that's a whole other aspect to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, at first he thought it was just aliens. So let me tell you about the aliens that he saw. So okay. he, when he got divorced from his wife, now she's she's no longer living at the airport. So he's there by himself at night. And literally, he's the only one at the airport at night. And um, so the first incident with the aliens, I mean, there had been another one with her uh, that was actually the first aliens that he saw. And I'll tell you that story because she was still living there. Um, sure. They had gone to the store and um, she was driving. And when they came back from the store, um, as they were coming up on the hangar, and this was about twilight and it was in the summer. So, you know, twilight was pretty late. And um, so it was still light and um, but not light enough that they could see details. But they saw this egg shaped craft on top of the hangar. And they saw, and, and there were like three struts. And it kind of reminded me, if, you, if you're familiar with the um, uh, Lonnie Zamora story, um, he, he described an egg-shaped craft and it had three struts on it. And that's what he saw on top. This is what Clay saw, Clay Wheeler saw on top of his hangar. And he said there was this creature that was on the hangar. And he said, all I could see was that it looked kind of like a, a stick figure. It was very thin. So that's all he could see. Of course, the sun was setting behind the ship and behind the, the alien. Um, so he couldn't make out any deed. The ship, it was like this ship was about to take off with this alien still trying to get back in. And so the little aliens scrambling to get eyes into the hatch. And uh, uh, it looks like my, my feet is cutting in and out, but I, hopefully you can still hear me. Yeah. You're and fine. so this ship um, rose and it went, it, it went off into the sky. And so that was the first sighting of aliens, but he really didn't get a good look at them that time. So, now she, his wife, he's divorced his wife mm-hmm. and um, she is no longer, he's, he's there living by himself at the, at the airport. And one night he's, he woke up at three o'clock in the morning and he said that happened a lot after all this stuff started, he, he would wake up at three o'clock and he, he felt like there was something meaningful about that, that that was like the witching hour or something. I don't know. Um, but he woke up, he couldn't sleep. And so he said, well, I guess I'll call my sister. His sister was working in China at the time. So it was middle of the day for her. Mm -hmm. And so he started chatting with her on the phone and he's, he's, he was telling her that, you know, there was this weird stuff happening and she's like, you know, maybe you'll have to tell me this stuff later when we're not on my work phone kind of thing. So um, she was being kind, kind of hesitant. So, you know, he, he's just trying to hint around like, you know, I've seen ships in the sky and, and she's being kind of vague as if people can overhear her and she doesn't want to 
you know, let them in on what she, this weird stuff that she's talking about. So as he's, as he's talking to her, he was kind of an, a nervous, you know, antsy kind of guy. And so he, um, he's pacing, he's talking on the phone and he's walking around the apartment and just for no particular reason, he walks over to the door that is between the apartment and the office. And he just, you know, kind of nervously grabs the doorknob and he starts to open it up, just force of habit. And as he's opening the door, he said he saw these two gray aliens and, and they were three and a half, four feet tall. Silver, he said they were more silvery than gray. So it was like they were, they were spray painted silver. And, um, and he said the weirdest part of that, that he can remember. And, and this whole, this whole little sequence happened in just a matter of seconds. But he said, as he opened the door, the two aliens moved out of the way like they were a gate. They moved like they were joined together like a gate. And I'm thinking as a skeptic, I'm thinking who would make this up? You know, if you were making up a story, who would, who would make that up? So, I mean, that right. was, it, it was a small detail, but for me as a skeptic, and I'm sure you understand because, oh, you know, absolutely. you go into, in, into investigations looking to debunk the things that you can debunk because the, the coolest part is when you, is what you have left when you've debunked oh. everything. And so that's kind of where I was going and I'm thinking, well, this is weird. So, he, he said that was that was so unusual for him. And then he said that and he, he remembered all the details about what these guys look like. But then he said, I looked over to my right and there was this tall guy and it was not at all like the grays. He said it was had tan or brown skin. It was um, it, he said it, it was naked as far as he could tell, but there were no features. So it was like a Ken doll, you know, it was, it, it's there. It was just like a, it had been molded or something. And there was, there were no genitals or anything, no features on this body, but he said the head was really big and, um, and the eyes were like, not quite the size of baseballs, but they were large and they were bulged out like they were too big for the sockets that they were in and and the lids closed top and bottom and he said the back of the head had two kind of protrusions in the back and you know i tried to find drawings or images that people had you know paintings or something that people had made of of aliens that they had seen and i couldn't find anything that was like this at all so again the skeptic in me is saying, you know, if he's making this up, he's not, he's not pulling from the, uh, from the lore that's already out there. Right. So that I found interesting. So anyway, so all of this happened in the space of just a few seconds. And he said, when he saw this, this big guy on the right, he said, it stepped forward. And he said, I knew right away, this was the bodyguard for the two little guys. And when that guy stepped forward, he said, I panicked. I dropped the phone and shut the door and I didn't go back for hours. 
And now when I talked to his sister, she said that what actually happened was that he said, gotta go. And then the line went dead. So, um, so she's, she's kind of a witness to the event, even though she doesn't, she didn't know at the time what was happening. Um, because I guess there was no sound coming from the aliens uh, and he wasn't saying anything to her. He was just stunned. He was stunned and taking this all in. So that was his first really close up encounter with the aliens. Let's um, go back a little bit um, to the pregnancy. And there, you know, yeah, let's go back a little bit to that pregnancy because I'm intrigued about why was he thinking it was a demon possession? He was, he felt like her behavior had changed so much. She had become angry. She would, before she had been prim and proper, she wouldn't, he said she wouldn't swear. You know, even if she was telling a story about somebody swearing, she would find a substitute for the swear word. Um, but after all this started, as it progressed, her language became rougher. Um, <laughs> I was looking at um, one of the one of the uh, interviews that I had done with him, and he said, he said, I told her, I told her one time, I sure like it when you when you talk when you talk with that deep voice like a man. And he said she got really mad. <laughs> But wow. so this was this was all part of it. So he was thinking that you know she would become angrier. She was using dirty words. Uh, the the their intimate encounters were were more aggressive and um, you know dirty talk and things like that. And and she was more angry and um, she would lash out very very easily. And so he started thinking, and I don't know where he got that because. Because it wasn't until after that had started that he saw uh, uh, a couple. He had a couple of um, encounters what, with what he believed to be demonic entities. Okay. Okay. But I, I don't know whether by the time I met him, he had in interpreted her behavior as demonic possession. You know, an indication of a demonic uh, possession, or whether he thought it at the time. Uh, because he told me that when all this started, he said, I was as, as religious as a hog. He said, I, you know, I was really Catholic. I totally abandoned the faith and his mom was very faithful. And, you know, the fact that he had pulled away from uh, his religion was, you know, it upset his mom. And so, um, you know, he, he didn't have, but he had that background. So I think maybe that was uh, what he pulled in, it tapped into to interpret what was happening here. Um, but now after, after she moved out one night, he was in his living room. And I think it, again, it was the middle of the night and I don't know whether the thing woke him up or whether he was already awake, but he said there was this, there was this blue energy being and he said it was like he said it was like an angel it was blue plasma like electricity and he said he said I, I i i interpreted it as being an angel but then i told myself but it's got brown hair and angels have blonde hair and then i thought 
wait a minute, where did you get the idea that angels had to have blonde hair? <laughs> so he got into this, this conversation with himself uh, when this amazing thing was in his living room. And it, he said it was just this undulating light, like um, sheer blue fabric. But he said it was, it, he felt like this was an angel. And he said that was going on for a while. And he he actually got out some instruments trying to find out, you know, is this, is this electricity? Is this plasma? Is it hot, hotter or colder than the, the surrounding environment? Um, and so he watched this for a while and he thought about, you know, what he could do to, to figure out what it was or maybe make it go away, but he didn't want to make it go away. It was, he was said it was just, it was incredibly beautiful. And then he said, after a while, he saw this dark energy come up from the floor. And he's like, you know, I'm on a slab here. There's nothing right. under there. So what is this energy coming up through the floor? And it was dark. And he said it was male. And he, he, felt, he felt like this was a demon that was coming up and seducing and, you know, um, really violating this angel. And he said he watched this dance of what he considered. He finally said, is this a, a play acting out? Is this, you know, whatever these forces are, are they acting out this play of good and evil in terms I can understand an angel and a devil or something. And he said it went on for, for a while. And then eventually it was like the angel force, this angel blue light seemed to vanquish the dark light, the dark energy, and it went back and then she disappeared. And so, you know, he, he, he wondered, why did this happen? Am I supposed to learn something from this? Is it telling me something? Uh -huh. You know, so that was part of how he why he started thinking about, you know, angels and demons. And then another time, okay, so another time he saw a portal open. And that was something that actually happened in the Skinwalker, you know, uh, the right. Skinwalker story. And um, it, he said it was, it wasn't like a, you know, not like a Stargate or anything like that. It was just like a, a door. And he said it was like like there was a like a window shade uh, only on the side, and and it was pulled open. So so this portal was being pulled open, and he said all these ships came out of it. There were creatures that came out of it. There were these um, you know, like aliens came out of it. But he said there were also these these creatures he called the man, man walking wolves. So they were like wolves, but they were walking on their hind legs. And so all of these things came out of this portal. And I asked him how long, you know, how long did it stay open? And he said it was about an hour. And he said that, you know, when it was over, he said, I wished I had kept a record of what all came out to make sure it all went back in, or is it still here? You know, so, you know, some of the, some of the ways that he thought were, you know, just so interesting, but, um, so 
now, and I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching the time. I want to make sure that I get to the point where, you know, uh, I, I ex- explain to people why he was so scared. Now, granted, some of this stuff would have scared me that I've told you right. already. Um, but then he was, um, there were, there were two, uh, there were a couple of encounters at, in the hangar with the, the blue, the small grays. And one was the, the really bad one, um, was there was a gray in the shop and, um, I think he, he was there. It was late. Everybody had gone except for his secretary. And they thought it was a child that had gotten into the hangar. And um, so this child in a gray shirt that they thought, you know, they're thinking it's cold out, you know, this, and, and this is the middle of the no of nowhere. How could a kid be so far away from home and, you know, it'd be freezing. So we've got to find this kid and get him back home. So they're trying to find this kid. And then at one point it darts out from behind, you know, he had, he had like all these explosive gases, like acetylene for welding and he had propane and all kinds of things. So, you know, this thing had gone behind these tanks and he, you know, he's like, okay, well, I got to get this little boy or this little kid, whoever it is out from there. Well, it comes around beside these tanks and he sees that it's not a little boy, it's an alien. And so, you know, he's, he's got his gun. So he had started carrying guns with him. He had a gun on his workbench. He had a gun on his hip. He didn't know what they were going to do. So this alien comes out and he draws his gun and he can't shoot too close to the tanks because that would cause an explosion. It would, you know, this would be super bad. So, um, and also he was fascinated by the aliens. I don't want people to think this was all scary. He was fascinated by the aliens. He was scared. Yes. He was deathly scared, but he wanted to communicate with them and he wanted to know what they know. And in fact, even one night, uh, he he packed a bag and went and sat on the runway like, you know, he he wanted them to come and take him for a ride on their ship. And it, it was so cute. He said he said, I packed like three days worth of underwear and, uh, you know, th- three. He, he brought rolls of toilet paper, but he said I didn't bring any clothes, extra clothes, because I figured they'd give me one of the jumpsuits that they have. <laughs> you know, who thinks that? So um, anyway, so he's in the hangar and there's this, there's this small alien and he's about to draw on it and it's got this breastplate on it. And there was this blue light that shot out of the breastplate and it cut, it was like a laser beam, like some kind of energy weapon. And he said it was about four inches in diameter and it cut through everything in the hangar. So through planes, through uh, scaffolding through workbenches, whatever was in the way, and it cut a hole through the outside of the hangar. I mean, this is corrugated steel that it cut a hole through that. And so he's totally freaking out. And 
he didn't know what happened to his secretary. He's thinking she got killed or that the thing killed it. So he's trying to find her. He's trying to get away from this alien. And so he has to go find her. And once he finds her, by the time they get back, the alien is gone. But both of them are completely deathly afraid. And they never, they didn't see that alien again. But now that really amped up the fear, as you can imagine. And so um, time passed and they never saw that one again, but they saw another one and he was actually working during the day and he saw it and boom, he pulls out his gun and he shoots it and it falls down. Well, that one didn't die. And so a couple of his employees were there. And so they got out of the hangar because the thing was out gassing where he had shot it. And, you know, he felt really bad for shooting it, um, but they're thinking, okay, I don't know what this gas is going to do to us. Um, so they left the hangar. And when they came back, they, you know, waited for a while. When they came back, the thing was gone. And so he was thinking, you know, I really hope that like the alien paramedics came and got him. Cause I don't, I, I don't want to kill any of these aliens. Um, right. You know, I didn't mean it. I mean, it was just, you know, it caught me by surprise. So um, then um, the, the, the last time when he saw another of these and he's thinking, you know, is it going to have the blue beam? Is it going to kill me? And he saw another, uh, the third alien and, and it wasn't too much longer after the second one. Um, and he shot it and killed it. And, you know, he said, I'm looking at this alien body and I'm thinking, if you had told me two years, three years ago that I'd have an alien body and wouldn't put it in the back of my truck and drive it all over the country, take it on the Oprah show, on CNN, everywhere showing, hey, I've got an alien body here. I would have said you were crazy. But he said, when it actually happened, I froze. He said, I, I needed time. I didn't know what to do. So he, he bagged it up and he, he put it in a, you know, heavy plastic, black plastic contractor's bag. He actually double bagged it and cinched it with, uh, you know, zip ties. And he's like, I need, I need time. I need to think about what am I going to do with this? Oh my God. And um, so he, he took it to his cousin's restaurant and put it in the walk-in freezer. And he told his cousin, it was a feral pig that he had shot. We have, we have wild pigs in Texas everywhere. People need to shoot more of them because there's wow. too many of them. And so, yeah. And so, you know, he left it there for a while until he realized that, no, I've got a, he decided he needed to, to do right by it. And he, so he gave it a kind of a proper burial. And um, so in the meantime, so this is all the stuff that happened to him. So now I'm in the, I'm in the story and my husband and I go and we interview him. And I, you know, I told him that I, what I 
wanted to do was to, you know, I wanted to debunk the things we could debunk. Uh, like he, he had pictures of what people call rods or skyfish. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, it, it's just really a flying insect that your camera shutter isn't fast enough to freeze. So it's getting a multiple uh, exposure. So it looks like a snake, flying snake with a bunch of wings on it. Um, and so, you know, he kind of res resisted that, but um, eventually he, he appreciated the fact that I wanted, I told him that I believed he had some phenomenal real experiences. And I wanted the audience of Jim's TV show or my books or whatever. I wanted them to, to believe him. And, and in order to do that, we needed to get rid of the things that were easy to debunk. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of all this, uh, me interviewing him multiple times, going out to the airport, spending the night on the runway, trying to, you know, come on down aliens. Let's, let's talk. I mean, I wanted to see them, um, and didn't, um, but, uh, you know, we, we continued to communicate. We exchanged emails. We talked on the phone. And then, um, one night I got a phone call from my niece and my brother had died in his sleep. Wow. And so that was a, a real gut punch for me and for Clay. And we both were kind of stunned. What do we do now? We've got all this material. We've got, we've, we've done these interviews. Jimmy wanted to tell this story, mm -hmm. but what do we do? And so you know, we kind of fumbled for a while. And we, like I said, we stayed in touch. And about a year later, um, I was, I had, I decided I needed to, to do something to acknowledge my brother. And so I created a video, a memorial video, and I sent it out to everybody. You know, I posted on Facebook and I made sure that people, uh, the people that, who had contacted him, the experiencers and his team and people like that um, knew it was out there and emails. And I sent it to everybody, including Clay. And I knew that Clay and Jimmy had become very close like brothers mm -hmm. and um, that he would certainly have watched the video and he would have called me or emailed me and said something about it. And I didn't hear back from him. And, um, and, and I didn't hear back and I didn't hear back, which was unusual because I did, you know, he and I talked almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day, either by email or on the phone. And so when I didn't hear from him for a while, I got worried because throughout this three and a half years of all these experiences, I said he had gotten sicker and sicker and weaker and weaker. And so I would, you know, his health was not good. He had a blood clot in his lung the size of a quarter, I think he said, or a half dollar. Wow. He said it would have, the doctor said it would have killed a normal man. Uh, but, you know, he, he was tough. Um, but, you know, all of this stuff just kind of piled up. And so when I hadn't heard from him, I contacted his sister and I emailed her and she said, I said, is he okay? And she said, no, he's in the hospital. He's, he's been in the hospital for a month or whatever. Uh, he has multiple organ failure 
and flesh eating, flesh eating bacteria. And if he survives, they're going to have to cut off huge patches of his skin. And the next day she told me he had died. Mm. So, you know, that was, that was really, uh, and that left me in a, in a very strange place. And it actually took me several years before I decided that I needed to at least write the book. I knew I couldn't pick up from, from where my brother left off with a TV show. I, I, I was completely incompetent to do that. So yeah, I wrote the book, Bleed Through, a true story of aliens, demons, and pure evil in Texas. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, my niece, and we lost all the, the material that was on it, but we regained the uh, domain name, which is experiencers.com with an X at the beginning, just an X at the beginning, experiencers.com. And you can get information there. Um, but after, after he passed, um, I contacted his mom. Um, actually a couple of times and we talked and um, one of the things she told me was that when he was little, when he and his sister were little, uh, the family had taken a trip in their travel trailer in their truck to Alaska. And on the way back, they were in Idaho and they had pulled over uh, on the side of the road for, for the night. They, mom and dad were both too tired to, continue driving to get to a truck stop or, you know, a, a campground or whatever. And so they just pulled off at a wide spot in the road and all went to sleep in the travel trailer. And she said in the middle of the night, she woke up hearing uh, this strange clicking sound coming from outside the trailer. And she said it was coming from two different places. And she said, she knew it was a language. There were, there were creatures that were speaking to each other in this clicking language. And she said, I knew right away it was aliens. And she said, I don't know why I thought it was aliens. This is back in the 60s. And, and it wasn't the big deal it is now. And, and it wasn't as prevalent. And it wasn't like the top of your mind when you think of something strange. And um, so she said, but I knew it was alien. So um, I, I woke up my husband and she said um, he, he jumped out of the, the travel trailer. He got, got dressed and he grabbed his gun and he jumped out with his keys and he got in the truck and he pulled off and, you know, just slammed, you know, sped away. And she said, but I think I feel like um, that, that night, at least Clay was abducted, if not all of us. And she said, I think he had been abducted possibly all his life. Now, she didn't want to talk about this. She was, she was so not into this thing. She was so not into the aliens. Um, but she absolutely believed this part of it. And so when she talked about the clicking sound, I said, I knew that there had been, my brother made a, what's called a sizzle reel. And it's just mm -hmm. like a video trailer. Um, only it's for investors and for potential pro producers of your TV show mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives them a little teaser of it. And I remembered there was one part in that sizzle reel 
where there was a strange kind of interference as they were filming, you know, they were out. I don't remember where they were. They were somewhere in Arizona, which, uh, you know, makes sense. But while they were filming this part of the, the sizzle reel, there was this strange interference on it. And it sounded it kind of like a clicking sound, but it was no kind of interference ever. And so I said, hold on. And so I looked on my computer while I was talking on the and I pulled up that sizzle reel and I fast forwarded to that place where it had that weird interference. Is this what it sounded like? And she said, yeah, I think so. Now this was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. What an incredible story. And this is hard for you now that he's gone. And so I, yeah, I've kind of taken the... Go ahead. Is it hard for you to find, uh, you know, to do this research since to, since he's been gone? Because all you have is what pretty much what he told you, and you know, it seems like you're trying to verify a lot of this stuff. So was it really hard to find this, you know, to, to do the research on this? Yes, um, we have. It, it has been very difficult, and in fact, um, the the book was kind of hard to write because he gave me lots of incidents that happened, but I, when I knew I was going to write a book and before he had passed away, I was trying to ask him, trying to get him to tell me what was your normal life? Like what, what was interrupt, what normal stuff was interrupted by these crazy things. And I never got that information. So I kind of had to fill that in with my imagination, but um, it was very hard to find. We're just now, finding some of the witnesses. I've, you know, I've done a couple of interviews. Uh, uh -huh. You know, like I said, I talked to his mom, I've talked to his sister and we interviewed one of the, one of the witnesses to some of the stuff. And the witness um, believes that it was all demonic. He believes none of it was alien. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you, you can interpret it any way you want. I don't right. know. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, and then there's also the stories, you know, where, where I've had guests on the show in the past that have said that, you know, instead of these being aliens, they're fallen angels. So that makes, that's what makes it so interesting. Could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know what? I've, this hour went by so fast and I thank you. I mean, this is so fascinating. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Well, I feel bad. I'd kind of, I, I, I kind of talked the whole time. So that's okay. I want, <laughs> I wanted to let you, you do it because, talk. because we had the hour. So I wanted you to tell the story <laughs> and it worked, right? I mean, this is just an incredible story. Do you guys, as far as that alien body, did he ever tell you where it was buried? Um, he did. And um, the problem with that is, that he told my husband that he might have booby trapped it. Oh, wow. And 
you know, how do you know you what? How do you not know you, you booby trapped it? But he said I was on a lot of drugs at the time, and you know, normally if somebody says that, you think recreational drugs. But no, like I said, he he had gotten sicker and sicker uh, throughout all this time. So he was on pain meds and uh, different things. He had uh, he had he had kidney failure at one point, and then then it went away. I mean, just weird weird health stuff. Um, right. So anyway. The point is, in order to go find this, whatever he buried, I mean, it might there might be nothing there. There might not be anything there. So we're prepared for that. But I have a team of people. We have, you know, ground penetrating radar. We've got metal detectors. We've got all kinds of sensors, LIDAR. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to actually try to test the area to see if there's any like toxins or gases that could have caused hallucinations, you know, looking for kind of a conventional explanation. And, you know, maybe we'll roll that out. Maybe we won't, but, you know, just trying everything. And then because it might be booby trapped, um, we have a a team of bomb sniffing dogs and we have a a very experienced military um, bomb tech to, Uh He, he will be the one that will guide us in terms of once we find a spot that looks promising, he will be in charge of, you know, how we dig it out, how we uh-huh. handle it, um, you know, and then the dogs will kind of give us a clue. We, you know, I don't know how reliable it is, but, you know, we will have another way to determine. And, and actually, I think our guy with the uh, with the drones has a um, an explosives uh, sensor as well that he can deploy for this as well. So we'll have a couple of ways to know whether or not we're dealing with explosives. And even if we don't uh, sense anything like that, we'll still have the bomb tech in charge of excavating whatever's there, you know, because we want to be as careful as possible. So that's, in fact, that's why the location has been disguised. It, it, it's right. the, the location is made up in the book. And, you know, once we do this, then we'll be able to reveal where it actually happened. But uh, right now uh, we don't want anybody going out there and running right. the risk of, you know, blowing themselves up or the evidence. So perfectly understandable. And I would love to have you back on when you do, after you do that, <laughs> I would love, I, I would love, love I, I want to hear more. You've got me so pulled into this that, Stopping it just seems seems rude at this point, you know. <laughs> well, and, and the the funny thing is that the book I had to leave a whole bunch of these events out of the book, and so like you know we're we're trying to cram stuff into an hour here on your yeah. show. Well, imagine in a three hundred and some page book, I had to leave wow. a bunch of stuff out. So, wow. um, yeah. So we're gonna Although- you know we're, we're gonna do a video and maybe a mini series. I don't know. All I know is that we're filming everything. (laughs) Well, if that's okay, we could do it now. Let's definitely plan on getting you back on because this this is absolutely, I would love to do that. This is absolutely fascinating. All right. uh, Can you uh, tell everybody your website once again? It is experiencers.com with an X experiencers.com just with an X at the beginning. And um, you can find the book right now in ebook and paperback on Amazon. And right now we're working on the uh, audio book for all of you who like to listen to your books, which I do. 
Uh, Fantastic. Well, yeah, every so. Sunday I have a real good audience because I that's Sunday reading day and I pick a paranormal book and I read from it. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I love it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you yeah. so much for coming on. And I'll be emailing you Well, thank soon, you for I, inviting me. This was fun. Absolutely. And I'll be emailing you soon to get you back on because I know there's still more of this to tell. And I, wow, you've got my undivided attention. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. Have a great one. All right. So, yeah, I told you guys yesterday it was going to be a great show when it was. It's everything that I, I figured it was going to be. I have read the book. The book is terrific. And, uh, wow, you guys don't know half the stuff like she says. All right. Tomorrow, uh, keep a keen eye out. We're, we are not going to be on this time. We're going to be on at 1 p.m. Pacific. And we're going to have Hans Wilhelm on, who's going to be talking about Satanism in society. Uh, so with, that's going to be an interesting talk. Um, I heard him on another show, and wow, the stuff he's got to say. So that'll be 1 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. Okay, that being said, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Very cool opportunity here. We're just trying to get the word out about our show. And uh, again, I want to thank you all for coming, and I will see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening, everybody. <laughs>